In case of emergency, the exits are here, 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 anywhere. Keep your hands and arms inside the carpet. We... Name is Hades, Lord of the Dead. Hi, how you doing? We dance, we kiss, we schmooze, we carry on, we go home happy. What do you say? Come on. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Welcome, Ohana, to the Disney Guides Uncensored. This is episode 43, recorded on January 13th, 2020. We're your hosts, Drew and Bob, and on tonight's episode, we visit all four of Walt Disney World's parks and their respective icons. So come journey with us on this magical tour of Walt Disney World as we explore the meanings behind the icons of Walt Disney World's parks. Because if a podcast can't be done with excess, it shouldn't be done at all all so folks before we get started um we wanted to share this message with our good friend uh jay if you're over on the ohana group you probably already heard it but um unfortunately some sad news and here is what jay had to say greetings ohana this is jay from the disney guys i just wanted to do a special little bonus here to bid you guys a very very fond farewell um, I am leaving the Disney guys. There's no ill will, no bad feelings, nothing like that. I just am moving in a different direction and I am no longer putting my heart into the show like I once was. And I don't want the show to suffer because of that. Bub and Drew, I love you both. And I hope nothing but the best. As far as the Ohana goes, I'm still going to be there as a member. I'll be sharing information that I have with you guys. Eventually, maybe one day when Bub and Drew do a uh, Star Wars episode or a Marvel episode, I may come on as a uh, guest contributor. But for now, I'm just backing out and letting them do what they do best, bringing the amazing content to you guys that they, they have so far. I wanted to say thank you so much for this journey. I really had fun, and I hope that everything turns out amazing for these guys. So, for now, you stay classy, Ohana. And Jay, again, uh, for myself, I want to thank you again. It's been a a ride and a half, and uh, appreciate everything, and I look forward to continue to talk to you offline of the podcast and uh you know go on from there well jay ohana means family buddy so thanks for everything and we'll catch you next time absolutely thank you jay and i just want to apologize up front my voice is raspy i feel great i don't know what's wrong with me i'm just some nice herbal tea going on got some cough drops some water bob is gonna pick up any slap that I can't handle my voice starts going, but we're here for a roller coaster, guys. So sit back, relax, and let's move on over to BuzzTube. Hey, Gord! Gord! If I can just find Gord! Oh, there you are. All right, guys. First thing off we want to talk about 
is what is happening right now behind the scenes for next week's episode. We have a big episode planned, something that we should have been doing for a pretty long time, Bub, if you ask me. People, have asked, so. people have asked for it. Right now is the perfect time. You have all these hot new Disney deals for vacation. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to do an episode for first-time visitors to Walt Disney World. Um, or if you haven't yeah. been in a long time, right? Yeah. And, uh, Bob, who's joining us on that episode? Uh, that would be uh, Cousin uh, cousin Tommy from Southie, right? I think no, he's coming Bob, by. No, Tommy, Tommy's not invited anymore. He's not welcome to that. Oh, oh so, uh, okay. So, clearly, it's not Uncle Tommy, uh, Cousin Tommy. So, it's clearly going to be our good friend Jordana uh, from Travel Mission. So, She'll be coming on. Uh, What we need from you guys are any questions or comments you would have for first-time visitors. Um, As Again, we've kicked it around a little bit, and Andrew and myself have been so much that it's hard for us, and and I I don't want to – it's not really – we're not, you know, gloating or anything here, but it's hard for us to envision when we were eight years old for our – for I was eight on my first trip and Andrew was six or he was even younger actually on his first trip. It's hard for us to think back even to 2000, 2002 when we were going as teenagers, what that first experience is like booking a trip for a family, Mm -hmm. uh, booking the trip in general. So we're bringing Jordana on as she does it for a living. Uh, but we need from you guys is, is any questions you have as first timers or, or first time in a long time, uh, uh, park goers, please reach out to us and give us any questions. And, and specifically, they'll be for Jordana, and we will answer them the best we can as well. But mm-hmm. we'll have a um, quote-unquote trained Disney professional on with us, and she is a graduate of the Disney School <laughs> of Hard Knocks. Absolutely, so, we're hey, excited no, about that. And Bob, you're right. I think a lot of the time, sometimes we we act like you know it's the norm for everybody in the world to know mm-hmm. exactly what we're talking about. When you so this Correct. episode's more about taking a step back and kind of simplifying things for everybody, you guys, the listeners. So there's no such thing as a question that is, I'm going to say a dumb question. There's no such thing as a question that's too little or too small. It could be as simple as, you know, the plan is to kind of start, you know, 90 days out and, and, or even further out. And, you know, which hotels should I select and where do I go for travel bookings and what do I do with luggage tags and all those simple questions all the way to actual once you get to the park so it could be anything so please let us know you can send us an email at uh the disney guys uncensored at gmail.com uh you can hit us up on facebook uh instagram uh you name it we're out there so you can find us um now we do have a couple questions coming up on buzztube this week but why don't you tell us a little bit about how we got these questions uh, so yeah, so we are starting something or something we've been doing for a while. I won't say we're starting it, but really a concentrated effort is making, I can't believe I'm the one that's doing this, but we're trying to make Patreon matter a little bit for the people that are paying, uh, for that exclusivity of, of being patrons. Uh, so we kind of went on discord earlier tonight. And started a conversation about this episode and, and asked them if they had any questions for us about park icons or, or specifically um, anything, really. But really more about the park icons and, and, and what they represented and if they had questions. And, and, and we had, believe it or not, uh, we have boots on the ground there this week. Uh, Jordana is down there 
uh, for a Travelmation Expo or, or yearly kickoff. I'm not sure what it is, but <laughs> she is down there. She's actually in the studios uh, right now She waiting for Rise of the Resistance, so that's pretty cool. So hopefully we'll get a little, little bit of a report from her on how the boarding groups went. But she had some que- She had a question or two about the specifically Hollywood Studios, which you'll find in a very short amount of time, is a cluster in terms of what the <laughs> icon was. And a good friend, Timmy Off, um, he was on our, our uh, round table. D, uh, Disney Plus roundtable that we did back in uh, what was that early, uh, early November, mid-November, give or take. So uh, we're excited. Uh, Timmy um, really has... I don't want to say it's an impossible question to answer because we're not Disney executives, but he kind of wants us to put our Disney executive hats on for a second and figure out when we think is a good time for them to do special attractions on the icons. And the basis of the question is that if you only go once in a while and your expectation is uh, Cinderella Castle as Cinderella Castle and not a giant birthday cake or not TP'd by Stitch, does that ruin the experience for people? And you're asking yourself, what the hell are they talking about? We'll get to the Magic Kingdom in a little bit. We will, Bob. but We will. But ultimately, Andrew, what do you think? I mean, so the icons themselves. Yeah, I mean, the icons themselves have evolved over so, time. So here's what happened. I think. Um, the icons don't necessarily change, right? I mean, you have the four parts now. Now, I think what confuses people sometimes is Hollywood Studios is unfortunately kind of a shit show when it comes to that, where they they originally did have their Earful Tower, you know, the giant water tower with the big Mickey ears on top. And we'll get to those again. I don't want to jump again, but they, they've changed over the years. If you ask, uh, you know, an average person in, in a Walt Disney World Park today, What's the icon of Hollywood Studios? I guarantee you're going to get mixed results. Where if you went to Magic Kingdom and you said, what is the icon of Magic Kingdom? Everyone's going to say the castle. So Mm -hmm. to your point, Tim, um, they're not necessarily changing or evolving. I I, I guess, well, that's not true. They they are evolving, right? They're all evolving in their own unique ways. I think in the castle instance, it has evolved. It has. And again, I think we'll talk about the evolution. At Animal Kingdom, though, you're right. it, It hasn't changed uh, much and and Epcot uh, Spaceship Earth going through one or two things, um, but I, I will tell you, Tim, to answer your question directly, I would say no time is a good time if you only go once in a while. If Correct. you go once every five ten years and you happen to catch it under, I, I know I hated going in October one time. Um, it, it was our honeymoon, and they had the crane in the back uh, setting up the Christmas lights, and that just ruins the aesthetic of the picture. Yeah. So that's just a, a nature of the beast, as it were. Um, when you go that time of year, it's really agree, unfortunate. Bob. There's, it's never gonna really get to the point where it's worth going to see something. I feel uh, if if it's a change or something you need, then you mm-hmm. luck out. I agree. But um, yeah. Next question we have here is from Jordana. You asked, kind of what we just mentioned, is the Chinese theater or Tower of Terror more of an icon in Hollywood Studios? That's our opinion. And also, she wrote, who misses the Mickey, the Mickey Sorcerer's hat? Mm-hmm. Um, Bob, Bob, do you miss it? Uh, personally? No. No, I don't. But well, my mother, who, God bless her, has listened to every episode, I think actually really enjoyed that hat. I think she I... liked the idea of Mickey being in the park and the presence of Mickey being in the park. I think I liked it because it's a hot area there with not a lot of shade, and that thing offered a lot of shade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. 
It was a big. Okay. Well, as far as the Chinese icon. theater or Tower of Terror, that's a great question. I think if you Google or you you can go by the pins or you see stuff, it really goes back and forth. I actually want to say, I think the Tower of Terror is recognized more than the oh, Chinese um, theater is. Yeah. I, I, and as there's far as a story for that. Yeah, it's licensing because they own the Tower of Terror. And they don't own the Twilight Zone name, but they own the Tower of Terror building. Mm-hmm. So that silhouette is the icon of the park right now. Um, in fact, I have a shirt from 2016. I looked at it. Uh, it's the Four Parks One World shirt, and it had the four oh, icons. Shirt, it was Tree of shirt. Life. It was Tree of Life. It was Spaceship Earth. It was Cinderella Castle, and it was Tower of Terror. The yeah. the the silhouette of Tower of Terror. And what that comes down to is they don't own the photographic rights to the Chinese theater. And, that, and that's why. There it is. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that. the answer. But no, Tower of Terror is the answer right now. I agree. Great great questions, both Tim and Jordana, and thank you. And like I said, um, what we do is, Bob, I just want to touch on a really quick again. What Bob already mentioned was all of our patrons um, get access to what we call this Discord, which is pretty much a private um chat group it's it's an application you download it super simple and we talk every day to our patrons about everyday stuff mostly disney but we can talk about other stuff as well Um, so you have that inside access to talking to us and asking us questions daily if a big news item pops up it's it's there we can talk about it um and all of that is over at patreon.com slash the disney guys uncensored and you get access to all of that private chat for only two dollars a month pretty simple and spoiler alert, if you guys miss Jay and still want to talk to him, he is still on there as a Patreon member. He is very active. Um, so, with that being said, let's move on over to uh, the Disney News Desk. Yes, and as we mentioned before, the Disney News Desk is sponsored by Patreon producer Jordana Izzo from Travelmation, an authorized Disney vacation planner. Email Jordana today at jordanaizzo at travelmation.net and be sure to tell her the Disney guys sent you. And we know that a few of you have already reached out to her, and she appreciates it. And Jordana will be on the show next week to answer any questions you have about traveling to Disney, whether it's your first time or your 100th time. We don't want you to think that we don't want your questions if you've been a ton of times. There's always questions while planning trips to Disney, and there's no one better than Jordana to answer them. So It could be as simple as what hotel or which resort mm-hmm. do you prefer over options. Correct. It could be anything. Like I said, yep. you you could go to Disney, you know, 30 times and still have that question. So it's simple yep. stuff like that um, that we want to help you guys out with. At least give our advice. Yep. I mean, we we do a lot of research. We have a lot of knowledge somehow hidden up in these these two noggins. But, uh, yeah, ask away. That, it's going to be a fun time. I'm excited for the episode. Correct. So on to this week's news where we have a musical background change at Epcot and World Showcase specifically. Um, There will now be Disney movie music following you around the respective countries. Uh, Just for reference points, uh, you will hear the scores and songs from Coco in Mexico, 
Uh, Beauty and the Beast will be prevalent in France, Mulan, obviously, in China, Snow White in Germany, Mary Poppins in England, and I think Brother Bear in Canada, uh, just to name a few, which is Aladdin, obviously, in Morocco, Lady and the Tramp will be representative in, in Italy, which is odd, other than the spaghetti scene, which I don't understand, but anyway, I digress. Andrew, anything to say about that? I'll I mean, it's things. cool. Two things. I have one, I think they just suckered me into just hanging out in Canada to listen to some Phil Collins. <laughs> Fair enough. Two, how do you feel about this, Bub? Because you're not necessarily against IPs in the park, but I'm going to say you're not for it, and now they're bringing... And this is a bigger question. This is a massive question I want to get into tonight, but they're bringing these IPs to your beloved World Showcase. I mean, so, rides aside, rides aside, right? Because that's that's so, that's already happening. So speaking strictly from a purist standpoint, I hate everything about it. That's what I wanted as to do. I wanted to get you going. As a father of two children who could care less about the musical stylings of Yo-Yo Ma, I'm actually all for it. I think it'll bring a certain character, as it were, to these areas of the park. And and I've softened my stance on Epcot not being character-driven. At the end of the day, this company is, is. is, is characters. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. You're not going to change it. And I I, tip my hat to you, Bob Iger. Right. So I, I personally think that if they're done well, and the music of Disney, we could do an episode on the music of Disney, and it wouldn't be enough, is so well done that I really don't think it's a huge, huge issue to have these representative uh, songs in the various lands that they that they would represent. I mean, it's a little different than walking around Harambe and and having uh, Lion King music playing in Animal Kingdom. It's really no different than that. So well, see, when you put it that way, I don't know how I feel about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's move on. Also, Blizzard Beach's annual refurbishment has been extended to January twentieth. The park was originally scheduled to reopen January sixth. Uh, Epcot's Gateway Gifts will be closed for a quick refurb January 13th, that is today, through January 18th. In other gift shop news, the gift shop store, located outside of the main entrance of Epcot, near the bus stops, will have its final day of operation once Gateway Gifts reopens. So, quick recap, Gateway Gifts close until the 18th, it will reopen, and when that reopens, the gift stop outside of Epcot will close forever. Um, that that little stop outside of Epcot is cute, it's kind of a quick place to pick up like a poncho or, or some last minute souvenirs, it was never a really big Wait, stop for me. Time, time out, that, yeah. that's what you're trying to pull out of your pocket, it's a good place to grab a poncho? Yeah, I mean, if you're leaving the park and it starts to rain, you get a poncho right there. That boy, who cares? You don't back to your hotel. Yeah, but the buses are very cold if it rains. Yeah, you'll be sitting there with a wet plastic bag over you at that point. Well, that is true, too. Um, so, well, like I said, Gateway Gifts is, choice. Gateway Gifts is, is if you are walking into the park over to the left of 
Spaceship Earth over on the side there near the camera center. So that's easy enough. Andrew's favorite theater at Disney Hollywood Studios will be undergoing a renovation beginning January 26th through February 8th. If you guess the Grand Arts Theater that houses Muppet Vision 3D, you would have been correct. And if you knew that it was called the Grand Arts Theater before we told you, go to the front of the line because you can be a Disney guy if you knew what the hell that th- theater was called um the planned reopening to guess on february 9th so again that's january 26th through february 8th uh, new seats new curtains nothing was said about a digital projection or an upgraded projection or upgraded effects so it'll be interesting to see what the refurbishment entitles it's not a very long refurbishment it's only about a week and a half two weeks or so give or take so um new seats and new curtains i mean the curtains were looking pretty dingy the last time i was there and the seats have been bad for oh hell probably three or four years they've needed this so andrew i, I know when we were talking before the show you had something to say about that so i did, I did two things at this which mm-hmm. is which is how i feel about this one why put money into this this attraction, right? I, I don't get me wrong. I I love the Muppets. It's outdated. It's it's an old. I think it's a good over over Galaxy's Edge right now. The show is just. I don't know. Maybe because I've seen it so many times that I'm just like I want something else. But mm-hmm. here's my other rationale behind this thing. Mm-hmm. They they all that we know is that they're upgrading new seats and new curtains. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now. If they're not doing the projection or making an HD or anything like that, it leads me to believe that's a nice theater. It could easily be converted instead of Muppets into something else. So by them putting money into the theater doesn't tell me that they're putting money into Muppets. All it's telling me is is they're prolonging the Grand Arch Theater, which is to be for Mm -hmm. bigger and better things. So I'm going to leave it open. Do I like Muppet Vision 3D? My kids love it. I just, I feel like I've seen it so many times that it's like, I don't know. That's that's just how well, I feel about it. It's purely speculative they're replacing the Muppets, but I don't think that anybody in their right mind believes the Muppet Courtyard down to Mama Melrose Restaurant Italiano is really long for this world with Toy Story uh, Land and Star Wars Galaxy's Edge with a Black Gee. Spire outpost right there. Free so. Galaxy's Edge. Do you think that Italian restaurant drew crowds? I can't yes, imagine. Because I'm really? a backlot. Absolutely did. Absolutely no question. I guess you're right over there. No question. That was a bustling part of the park. That was New York Street. It was where the where the sun show was. I guess there, was true. there was a lot of people in that back corner. Now it's nothing. It's hidden. It's definitely so, hidden though. Yep. Maybe especially now. It's like a dead end. Well, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a great cut through. It was correct. See, again, right. we, we, we could go into a studio part, uh, a studio uh, a tour with Andrew Keist and, and tell you all the nooks and crannies of Hollywood Studios because it's no centric design like well, Epcot or, or or anything like that. Good, it, it's a mess. Good luck and laying out that that route. Right. So. Um, again, with the news today, uh, Run Disney, Andrew's favorite arm of the company, introduced a new membership program for runners called Club Run Disney. Because, like those movies named, like the movies from last week that were named very obviously, we can't come up with something better than Club Run Disney. The membership pricing levels are two hundred and sixty-five dollars up 
to and including $798, depending on membership level. Uh, all three levels will include a welcome, pa- a welcome package, including a members-only jacket, and will have access to the lowest race registration pricing all year long. It will feature a new virtual 10K in fall of 2020 that is exclusively for Club Run Disney members. Special Club Run Disney designation on race bibs during on-site events. And that is a silver membership that will cost you $265.43. The gold membership priced at $478.63, will include all of these perks, along with early registration access with a guaranteed spot in the half marathon or marathon distance each race weekend. Hard stop. Let's talk about that for a second. (laughs) I've never run a marathon in my life. I've never run a half marathon in my life. I'm not a runner. Okay, let me explain that right now. And I find these prices to be exorbitant. Well, okay, let's it's just, not even let's the highest level the, yet. The, 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 the difference between silver and gold, Bubba, is $220. And right. the only difference is it's guaranteeing you a spot in the half marathon or marathon. Not registration access. No, let me be clear on this, though. With early registration access... And similar to what we've talked about in the past with a pay-for-play fast pass option, what this is, is think about your 90 days out or your 60 days out or your 180 days out trying to get reservations. You and the 25,000 other people that are trying to get reservations at the same time, if you pay this, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, this is a VIP perk that, to be honest with you, a lot of runners that I've spoken to and that I've listened to, and I've listened to some people talk about this already, and I've I've reached out to some other podcast hosts and, and discussed it with them. I will tell you right now, they are runners, and they think this perk absolutely is worth it because of the ability. They don't have to get up at 5 a.m. on registration day to wait in a virtual queue to log in to sign up. Apparently... Marathon weekends are big deals down there. Again, I, I've never been to them. They just had one this past weekend, and it did boom in business down at the parks. So well, I, why don't you I keep going, it. and then I'll give my opinion on all of it. But we're not done yet, because the Platinum membership, which <clears throat> comes in at a steep seven ninety eight forty three, will have all of these benefits, plus early registration with a guaranteed spot in one distance in one distance each weekend, upgraded corral placement, and an exclusive expo experience with early admittance to the Ron Disney merchandise shop, a special character meet and greet, and access to a club run Disney lounge with expedited race packet pickup. Okay, hard stop again before we get into the details on how you sign up for these things. People, again, I've talked to in the know, people we've talked to, Andrew's talked to the same people I have, he's watched the same videos that I've had about, that I have about it, and admittedly the pricing is very, very over-the-top expensive, in my opinion, as a non-runner. People that are going to race weekend that are serious marathon runners, because let's be clear here, there are people that run the Walt Disney Marathons that are legitimate 
professional marathon runners that are in Olympic Games, that are in the New York Marathon, that are in the Boston Marathon, that are running the Chicago Marathon, run all over the world. And this perk alone, and granted, those people are going to be in the first gate anyway. They're going to be the first ones out on the racetrack Mm -hmm. because of their qualifying times. But some of this, and if you're a professional runner, or you consider yourself even a semi-professional runner, this, all of these packages are worth it if that is the, the, it's the same as going club level at a hotel. You don't have to go on Mm -hmm. these. You don't have to do it to run the marathons. But if you are a serious runner, if you are a serious person that likes luxury vacations and luxury uh, uh, accommodations. You're going to stay at the Grand Floridian. You're going to stay at a concierge level room at the Contemporary Resort, and you're going to pay $800 a night for it. If you're a serious runner and you want, why wouldn't you do this? Well, let, let me. Let me well, it, I, I don't. I don't disagree. But here, here's my problem. So I, I'm going to be blunt. It's it's pricey. The $800 offer, if you actually read through the details, is actually a very good deal. Like you said, if if you're into this into this and you want a hundred percent go do the marathon and you have your own special run Disney lounge. That's, that's super cool. You know, mm-hmm. with, with your, it's a VIP access of, you can go to certain areas and pick up your stuff. It, I agree. The $800 is actually for me not terrible. Here's my problem with the other two tiers. As I already mentioned, the $500 tier literally gets you nothing besides a guaranteed spot in the marathon, which I, I get, that's big for people. I get it. But just to pay $500 to guarantee your spot is ridiculous. How you get that sweet jacket? Well, here, now let me get into the 265, the, the low tier, because <laughs> when I first saw this come out, um, as a lot of you do know, I am actually currently training for a half marathon for the virtual run Disney series. Mm-hmm. With kids and the pricing, I don't have the ability to go down there and run these half marathons or whatever. However, the virtual run Disney program is is great, and I don't think they utilize it enough. Let's be honest. How much money is it to put on a virtual race? Minimal, uh, minimal. I mean, so so I mean, other than the under other than the site upkeep and and, and the, so, the, so, the the bibs yeah. they send out. I mean, no minimal. no no, they don't send the bibs out, Bob. They send you a PDF. You print them out, you right? Print them. So, <laughs> Here's my Correct. point: is a virtual race today costs between thirty and let's say seventy dollars, depending on what it is. They're making bank on that. They send you a PDF of the bib to print, and they send you a medal when you're done. That's all you're actually physically getting you're, from you're them. You're buying a medal, is what you're doing. You're buying a medal, correct? Now, why why not introduce something like a hundred dollar virtual run only tier, where you get special access to a once a year virtual run, you get maybe a little membership card that says, Hey, I'm part of the, the, the club run Disney program. Um, maybe like a 10% off in like the club in the run Disney shop. That's what mm-hmm. bothers me because when I first saw this, like, wow, I'm doing this. And then I was like $270. And what do I get for it? The sweet, it's a sweet jacket though. The I get jacket's a, sweet. It's not bad. I get a jacket it's... and I get one access to one virtual 10 K. That jacket's clean. So you're telling me. So let me rewind for a minute. What you're telling me is though that jacket is two hundred and fifteen dollars. That's what you're paying for. Clean jacket. It's a clean jacket. 
I know we beat this to death. I know we bored people. All I'm saying is, is, is for once in my life, I'm, a, I'm, I'm saying it's overpriced, and that hurts for me. We are actually flipping sides on this because earlier in the week, I lost my mind. I was throwing phones across the room. This is absurd. Why are we doing this? And then I, I heard the take that, listen, you don't have to do it. This is a premium experience. Oh yeah. And I mean, that's it. I mean, yeah. some of the I think things I'm just that more... Disney are made only for the super rich. Which is fine, Bob. I just think I'm more upset that if they made a hundred dollar package for a virtual run, I bet you they could have sold ten thousand of them. Okay. You well, hey, get- write write Bob Iger care of the Walt Disney Company and let him know you're interested in in, in working on their marketing team and that you would like to introduce a hundred dollar virtual marathon I, program. I want a bronze membership. Okay. Well, anyway, if you are interested in any of the current memberships they offer. Club Run Disney uh, memberships will go on sale Tuesday, February 18th at 10 a.m., just prior to the start of Disney Princess Half Marathon Weekend. In other news, Disney Aspire, the Walt Disney Company's 100% tuition-paid education plan for more than 94,000 hourly employees and cast members welcomed Purdue University Global and Southern New Hampshire University to its network of schools. If you remember correctly, if you remember, uh, back in the summer we talked about this new program. Um, so eligible employees and cast members can now pursue a degree in cloud computing, digital photography, legal studies, and higher education administration, among others. This is in addition to the more than 300 programs in the current Disney Aspire network offered by universities and education providers, including the University of Arizona, University of Central Florida, Valencia College, Brandman University, University of Florida Online, University of Denver, Denver, Wilmington University, and Bellevue University. Again, good on Disney. Um, Solid little program they have there. And as we know, Andrew's bane of his existence is the Land Pavilion at Epcot, and specifically, it's awesome plans later this week. Um, We do now know that the host of the show will be Ty Burrell, who stars as Phil Dunphy on ABC's Modern Family, and he will be what Disney has declared the Planetary Realtor, or whatever the hell that means. Who knows? And that's the news, Drew. <laughs> well, thanks, Bob. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll probably never see Awesome Planet in my lifetime. But let's move on. going to be for you going. Probably. <laughs> let's move on over to the topic of the week. Tonight is the... We're going to be talking about all the icons, right? So all the major parts and uh, kind of... You know, the four icons. But, but before we get into the astral parts, why don't you tell us a little bit, as Forky would say, what is an icon? Ah, well, I mean, which characters would you like me to play? I mean, <laughs> Ham, Slinky, Woody. I mean, anyway, I digress. Prickle pants. Prickle pants. <laughs> well, let's look at the definition, ah, Forky. Well, maybe, maybe a little Duke Kaboom in there. Oh. You do that anyway. Rajon. Rajon. Uh, so, according to Merrill, uh, we- Merriam-Webster uh, defines icon as a graphic symbol on a computer display screen that represents an app, an object, or a function. It also 
represents a sign, such as a word or graphic symbol, whose form suggests its meaning or an object of uncritical devotion, an emblem, a symbol, a conventional religious image typically painted on small wooden panels and used in the devotions of Eastern Christians, usually a pictorial representation. In this instance, we'll be talking about three-dimensional uh, representations of certain things. So, while most of these definitions are accurate, let's look at that first entry where it is, I'm sorry, the second entry where it is a sign uh, whose form suggests its meaning. So let's uh, let's look no further than Hollywood Studios, where we've already answered that right now you're more likely to see the Tower of Terror or the archway into the animation courtyard as a representation of the park. That's what we're going for here. Um, we took an in-depth look at Tower of Terror and what it means on episode two in the spotlight section, so we are not going to spend any time talking about that attraction today. Uh, but with that, let's take a stroll down Hollywood Boulevard and take a look at Disney's Hollywood Studios' many, many icons. Let's take a look at the Disney Animation Court, the Disney Hollywood Studios Animation Courtyard Archway. Um, back when the park was a working studio, and Andrew, as you remember, this was uh, this was 1989 through the mid 90s or so. They they, they had the animation building, mm-hmm. they had backlots, they had uh, they filmed Home Improvement here. Uh, I believe Thunder in Paradise did some them Millionaire, some yeah, work my here. favorite. Yeah, I mean, so this was a working, legitimate studio. And this courtyard, I mean, we've all seen it. It's very similar to any courtyard you would see or any archway you would see uh, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a Hollywood uh, film studio. Um, and obviously, it actually did bear the Disney MGM uh, Studios logo for quite some time. Uh, right up through 2008, when the name change to Hollywood Studios happened. Uh, so this one, if you go straight into the park, towards the Chinese Theater, which we'll get to in a minute, and look right towards where uh, Disney Junior Live on Stage and Star Wars Launch Bay and Voyage of the Little Mermaid, which I really hope at some point all of that goes away, but that's another conversation for another day. It's the big archway. It's, what would you say, Andrew? It's kind of a beige Beige-ish yeah. top color uh, used to kind of have some teal and, and green in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Now I think it kind of got a paint redesign where it's uh, some blue in it as well now. But it just has the standard Disney Hollywood Studio logo. And when you're looking at a, a written form of the logo, that is the logo you'll see. It's the uh, it's got Woody and BB-8 and uh, Kermit the Frog and Edna Mode, I believe, in it. So it, it's pretty uh, pretty solid. But pretty inconspicuous. It's not really an icon per se, but we did want to mention it because uh, for a while it, it kind of did represent the studio park, or at least the studio portion of the theme park. It was a neat separator between the two. Yep. Um, so let's stay in the back lot for a second when this park first opened and take a look at the 130-foot-tall Earful Tower. Um, that was the giant water uh, tower. Um, and there's actually two of these in the world, Andrew, believe it oh, or not, yeah. at least, well, two replicas as it were, because the original obviously was at the uh, Burbank studios in California, but Disneyland uh, Paris at the, at the, um, 
the Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris has the second one of these, uh, almost an exact replica. Uh, we would say, Andrew, this lasted for what? I mean, almost uh, like 12, 13 years. This was the icon yeah, of the yeah. park. Most of the most of the life of it, right? I mean, well, well, for the first for the for the first decade and a half or so of the park, uh, this this was the icon. It's the traditional big water tower and has the giant Mickey ears on the top. Um, and that was actually removed on April 29th, 2016, to facilitate the construction of Toy Story Land. Here's and, a fun fact, Bob. Did you know that the representation of the water tower was an old, well, not old, but they used to have them on all old uh, backlot mm-hmm. um, Hollywood studios where in case there was ever a fire on one of the studio sets, they would actually use the water from the water tower to put out like the, the wooden film sets. Um, mm-hmm. So they wanted to just create a replica uh, to, to kind of fit that studio's park feel, right? Yep. I mean, and like we said, um, it, w- it was functional for a time when they were filming there, mm-hmm. um, but it really wasn't necessarily... I mean, when they built the park, they kind of built it differently because it was a a tourist attraction. So it wasn't necessarily the only source of water, but in a pinch, mm-hmm. it could be used uh, for that purpose. Uh, right now, do you know what attraction stands where this once did? Well, if I had to process of elimination, I feel like I'd have a good percentage of guessing Slinky Dog Dash. That is correct. Slinky Dog Dash, uh, I believe um, there is on the wall when you're when you're waiting in the yes. queue when you're at the uh, when you're at the line and you're looking at the wall where Andy's drawn the design of the roller coaster. What you're going to go on while you're waiting to get into the cart? This is where you're right at the front, yep, 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 waiting yep. to get into the cart. Up on that wall, there is actually. A, uh, a hidden water tower, which is pretty cool. Um, it's I, I think it's off to the top right, but I, I could be wrong. I'd have to look at a picture, to be honest with you. And you know those who, Mickey ears. You know who hmm? would know where it is, Bob? Uh, I, good friend Steve Barrett would know. <laughs> Pepperidge Farmer would remember, too. Um, <laughs> so those Mickey ears, uh, for you guys and gals that wear fitted hats or are... Or, or, are, are familiar with haberdasheries in any way. Um, those hat size of those years was 342 and three quarter inches. That is a giant head. Um, Andrew, yeah. let's wrap for a second. I know you're going to ask me later on, because we talked about it, what our favorite icons are. There's something charming about the, about the Eiffel Tower in a lot of ways, I think. Um. It is. It's uh, kind of that in the distance. Uh, it and... represented a different time for the park. It did. You're absolutely right. Like I said, the, the little brief history about the what it was for and what the, the, the mm-hmm. point of it was and that it was workable and, you know. Well, yeah. I don't think it would fit there now, though. I don't think it would fit with the park design now. Well, there's no more studio. I mean, that's just it. I mean, let's be honest. They need to change the name. Simple. It's it's it's. it's... Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think they were thrown around. They actually sent out a flyer. Um... I want to say it was 2015. There's been rumors circulating for years that we were going to get a name yep. change. And they actually had one Disney's Hollywood Adventure Park, which based on the Toy Story Land opening up, based on Batuu opening up, 
based on what's already there. I think Disney's Hollywood Adventure Park would be ideal because you're not misrepresenting the fact that it's a studio anymore. Um, but that's oh. just one of the names. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that conversation. That today. was one of the name <laughs> options we could have had. But yep. anyway, let's move on. We're, we're leaving the back lot. We're going back to Sunset and, and Hollywood Boulevard. And we're, we're turning around. The year is 2001. And I look down, and I don't see the Chinese Theater. No, 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 no. Oh, what do I see in front of me? I see a gigantic Sorcerer Mickey hat. And for the life of me... <laughs> I'm standing there, and I'm saying, they ruined one of the most <laughs> picturesque theme parks of all time. And you can you can argue with me all day about Main Street USA with Cinderella Castle or Epcot to a lesser extent because Spaceship Earth is just pow, it's right there. But there's something as a fan of Hollywood Studios growing up, as a fan of Disney MGM Studios growing up. I loved walking into Hollywood Boulevard. You come through the turnstiles. You make it past Sid Cahunga's on the left and the little, I don't know what it is. It's the, it's where the brochures and stuff are right now. It's uh, yep. And the store, it's street-lined like it's Beverly Hills. And you look down, there's palm trees, and bam, the Chinese theater is there. But no, I get a giant, gigantic, gigantic mickey hat uh, that represents sorcerer mickey and if you look at what it was for it celebrated the 100 years of magic um for the disney company so it makes a ton of sense and we'll get into another one there's 100 years of magic that i have a problem with as well uh, a a little bit different a little bit different at the other park but but you know what this was a cool thing because this is where you, you kind of first had um, like a Walt's one man's dream type thing. This was you, when you first opened up, it was all about Walt Disney's life and career. It was kind of an interactive, like a museum quality exhibit. And like Andrew said, provided a ton of shade in an otherwise yeah. shapeless area of the park. So it's really cool. But when that celebration ended in early 2003, those kids, Dare I say, it turned into pretty much a bazaar. There were pin tradings. There <laughs> yeah, was they the were. light up. There were the light up fans that you spray with water. I mean, it became. I don't want to say it cheapened the experience because I don't want to come down on the hat because I know people do like it, and and the idea that there was going to be a quote-unquote Mickey-style thing in in three of the four parks was the idea with this. And it's not an awful concept, but when I tell you where it was going to be and what it was going to be and how it was going to be, I think you would have appreciated it more. And it might, maybe not now, but it probably would have stood the test of time a little bit longer. I agreed with that. Because Sorcerer's Hat originally was going to be built outside of the park in a space cleared originally for something we never talked about, there was going to be a David Copperfield's Magic Underground Restaurant. Sounds great. Um, so when Eisner, when Eisner came in, he was he was boys with Copperfield, as it were, and they were going to put a magic restaurant. And that sounds weird, 
but it was going to be a very interactive, uh, huge, like a Vegas-style dinner and a show type thing where you're going to have magicians walking around. Copperfield's going to be there all the time, but he would have been there once in a while doing shows. It would have been a really cool, cool concept. Um, money got in the way, space and time got in the way, and, and honestly, I think uh, the failure of certain um, foreign parks also hurt Disney Studios when they were adding on. So, um, But it was originally going to be twice the height with two Ferris wheels uh, where the ears were and Walt Disney One Man's Dream underneath it. Um, so that was going to be awesome because where Walt Disney's One Man Dream attraction is was now um, in the animation courtyard area, it was the walkthrough exhibit where you saw Walt's old desk. Mm-hmm. This was going to be a huge enclosed attraction within, almost outside the park, which is a really cool concept, and it really, I think, would have would have done wonders for people to really get an idea of what Walt wanted. I can't be too angry because we did get Walt Disney One Man's Dream, and if you never got to see that in its entirety, I feel for you, you really missed out. It was a great attraction. Aside from all of that, the plans were changed, and the retail side of the park decided to fund it, reposition at the center of the park and repurpose it as a pin training station, which is, which is inevitably what it became. So again, it is what it is. The, the hat's not there anymore. It came down and it ruined an otherwise great view of the Chinese theater, which is what we're going to talk about next. Um, this is an exact replica of the original Chinese theater in Los Angeles. And Andrew, did you know, if you look at a photo of both side by side, you would be amazed at how similar they appear. And I know you've done it because we did the research uh, together. Yeah, I, I would be. Great, yes. Crazy how accurate it is, right? Like Correct. intensely. They, they actually use the original blueprints from the original theater in California, they which did. goes back to a point earlier where they don't necessarily have the pictorial license. Use this as the icon of the studio. And when you think Hollywood Studios, even to this day, I think of the theater acting similarly as the castle. And the trick is here, it's really never been the icon of the park, if we're being completely honest with one another on this show. It's never necessarily been the official icon of Hollywood Studios. Um, Some quick facts, and I don't want to bore you with the remake and it's this and it's that and there's there's the celebrities out front which i I think for the most part you kind of know the story of the chinese theater out in hollywood it's a very similar situation in hollywood studios they had celebrity uh, events put their hands in the cement i think kermit's there i know mickey and minnie are um there's uh jim henson i think did it before he passed um, so there's just a lot of cool walkway, and, and legend has it, and I guess we'll find out in a few short weeks, that the handprints and uh, signatures still remain, despite it changing from the Great Movie Ride to Minnie and Mickey's Runaway Railway. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then again, um, the original theater opened May 18th of 1927, um, with the premiere of King of Kings, a movie directed by Cecil B. DeMille. Um, really, the entrance to the theater out west has 200 signatures, uh, handprints, and footprints, where there's significantly fewer at the studios, but there's still some there. 
Um, really, I think the studios, this is where we get into weenies versus icons, is the weenie that draws you into the park, but it's not the icon of the park for the reasons we've stated. Um, and we, like we said, they did use the actual blueprints that were used to, the, to build the original theater. Um, and there's really nothing special about it. Um, on the park's opening day, like we said, Mickey, Minnie, Donald Duck, Roger Rabbit, Goofy, and other Disney characters signed the area. Uh, Dick Van Dyke, Bob Hope, Jim Henson, as we said, Betty White, John Travolta, Annette Funicello, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, George Lucas, as well as C-3PO and R2-D2, and legendary Robin Williams also there. Hey, um, don't you some don't you forget Herbie the Love Bug. Herbie the Love Bug's there as well. That is true. His time. Um, now, sometimes Disney would remove the plaques to, to move them around and stuff for, for other, when there wasn't enough room for them all. Um, so really, uh, just in case you're interested, it did house an attraction and it will continue to host one. Um, it was the great movie ride and we would, Obviously, sent 20 way back in August. I listened to Lost Attractions. We did an in-book at not necessarily the Chinese theater, but the attraction inside. Um, really, though, it's a really cool building, Drew. Let's be honest. It, it's an awesome oh, building. It's, it's authentic. It's, it's real. Um, what was your favorite icon from the studios, if you had to pick one? Well, I mean, between the, 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 the ones you just mentioned... Well, between the Tower of Terror, the 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 arch, so I, if, if, the Airport Tower, Tower of Terror, I'm gonna say Tower of Terror. There's nothing like when you turn onto Sunset Sunset Boulevard and mm-hmm. it's just there in the distance, and the, right. uh, that slight little 45 or 30 degree angle, and it's like, yep, that's it's the menacing. one. Yeah, it, it's, it's. I I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I I would I would lean only. I I would lean towards the Airful Tower, if only because but, I was such a fan of the yeah, studio. I, I agree, but it, way, it also but. is when, I mean, nowadays, present day, it's it's one of those things that you drive by, depending on where you stay, I guess, but I usually stay a lot mm-hmm. of the centralized locations where you drive by all the time, like, oh, look, there's a Tower of Terror. There's a Tower of Terror. Oh, you can see the Tower of Terror everywhere. It's amazing. You know, so it's just, it's the oh. way it's positioned and the trees around that you just, I feel like you can see it from everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right, well, that concludes our, our tour of the the icons of the Disney Studios, and we are going to hop the bus and go across property to our favorite park, Drew. Yes, our favorite indeed. We're going Animal, to Animal uh, Kingdom. Animal Kingdom. So, I, I got to be honest, but pretty easy here. I mean, there's nothing easier than to spot. Than the tree <laughs> of life. Now Everest is a close second, but it's it's kind of positions that you can't really see it as easily. But um, the tree of life. I mean, what an amazing icon in general, right? I mean, what they created of of this tree and how natural it looks and how it fits so perfectly, and the amazing design. Um, so a little bit of the symbolism of it is is that it actually honors uh, all the animals and places that kind of all share in that big connection of the Disney's whole circle of life aspect. And um, it truly is an epic visual symbol that kind of represents diversity, beauty, and it kind of interconnected with the nature of Earth's creatures, which are all those animals that are that are carved into the tree, which we will get to. 
So a little bit off the history of the design construction, it's 145 foot sculpture of a baobab tree. Uh, so kind of the representation there. And it has over 8,000 branches that vary in all different sizes. And Bob, how many leaves do you think that has? Uh, I mean, if I was just guessing, I'd say about 102,000. I said it's a pretty good guess, Bob. So you did a little <laughs> bit of research there. Um, but it debuted when the park opened, obviously, back in April uh, 22nd of 1998. Yes, folks, Animal Tatum has been here for over 20 years. So for all of you that were there, yes, we are getting older, if you remember it. Um, but, yeah, what, a, what an amazing time to live through. For me and you, Bob, at least, a we were we were well old enough to understand and and see that and visit that as like a first time. I mean, I cool. still remember at Magic Kingdom when they had the quote unquote welcome center for yes. Animal Kingdom. There was a preview center in Town Hall. I think it was Town Exposition Hall or in the Main Street Cinema, a little bit further down. I'm, yep. the, the location escapes me, but man, that video it looked great. Well, similar to how awesome. they have the the Epcot experience now. Correct. But, this um, is a little more low key, a little more low key with the Animal <laughs> Kingdom one, but oh man, times, did it ever look amazing! And it, it it is, it's my favorite park. And I'll tell you, uh, uh, the Tree of Life is is awe inspiring in every way. When you break down how they built it and and the engineering behind it, because I'm sure you're gonna tell us all about it in a second about what the structure actually is and the plaster and how long they had to carve the animals it's out of control but a little bit more about the design right so it is inspired by a mythological concept kind of because as we all know that was the original concept of animal tantum right bob um that's correct and um so it features 325 carvings that exist of both extinct animals and you know animals still living and uh, it's kind of surrounded by all of the trunk and the roots intertwined with those animal carvings as well. And believe it or not, you even have a hidden Mickey in there somewhere. So keep an eye out. Believe it's one on the, the right best. side. One um, of the best. Correct. But, um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about Jane Goodall's, uh, Goodell? Oh, Jane Goodall. Yeah. yeah. Her famous subject, David Greybeard, is on the tree as well. Uh, Jane Goodall was a... is... A, uh, a scientist studies gorillas, as it were. Um, well, her specific field escapes me at this time. I do apologize, but she's a she's a primate doctor, <laughs> I'm not I'll, doctor. I'll let I'll let that slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, listen, she she's a brilliant woman, and she studied gorillas, and she was a uh, what's what I'm looking for here. A consultant when they built the park, I guess, or or somebody like similar to Jurassic Park when they get Alan Grant to come and sign off oh, on the park. Jane Goodall came and there gave her go. her stamp of approval. She didn't want to shut down the park because they didn't need her, which was great. You know, after careful consideration, Mr. Eisner, I've decided to endorse your park, as it were. Uh, little little play on words there. But uh, they did carve David Greybeard into the tree, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, the sculpture of the tree itself took 18 months to create. And when you're working with plaster, and Andrew, I don't know if you know this, I know I know, I know you're, you're a big plaster guy, you like that stuff, but oh, sure. when they were sculpting the animals on the tree, 
they only had about six to ten hours to Correct. finish the animal completely because any longer that the plaster was too firm to work with. Yep, so it, it it's insane to think that. And again, you obviously have these things planned out and you you know where the animals are going. But man, you got six to ten hours to just you you got to do it. And when you see this thing in real life, these aren't mini three-inch figures they're carving. No. They, they, These they, are giant representations. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell when, when you're so far away. But no, you're absolutely right. And um, did you know, Bob, that, that the, the guts of this tree was actually engineered from a old oil rig platform, which they, they kind of thought embodied the natural forms of the baobab tree. So I think I did, kind of I did know that. It's one of those fascinating things, and it, there cool. are pictures out there. And I'm not sure we've posted the pictures, but there's pictures of an unfinished tree of life. I think we uh, and it's literally upside down. Uh, it's an upside down oil rig. It's unbelievable. Why don't we uh, post those onto our Discord chat for uh, for our patrons? Yeah, I'll see if we can dig them up, and then certainly uh, certainly post them there for our patrons. But Bob, so as all of you <laughs> listeners know, right? <laughs> We talked about it two episodes ago in episode 41. We take notes. We don't know all this stuff off the top of our head. So I was reviewing the notes today that Bub put in, and I came across this bullet. And me and Bub started talking about it. He said, oh, let me just delete it. I said, no, I'm not deleting that bullet. That's comedy gold. I said, so here's here's a bullet that Bub wrote. This would, if, this would be one of those things that in a year from now we'd probably pull a clip and say, what the hell were you thinking? It states, Animal Kingdom has millions of natural trees and greens. However, the, tr- <laughs> however, the tree of life is one of the parts only artificial species. <sighs> Bob, was this a copy and paste job from the internet somewhere, or is this just you not thinking straight? <sighs> it's a combination of both. <laughs> Oh, I think when I was taking the notes and I looked at it and said, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the millions of natural trees and greens. And Tree of Life is one of the only artificial species. And then I was off on a tangent saying, yeah, well, you know, it's baobab tree, natural natural form, like an upside-down oil rig. And that's inspired. Okay, we'll talk about that. And I'm not even sure that's accurate to... anymore with Pandora. Well, you know, well, I mean... How about we just move on? Listen... The Let's move on. Floating mountains, uh, oh. the, the floating mountains of Morara uh, are fantastic. So I have no problem with 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 Pandora. Anyways, the surrounding area of the Tree of Life is known it's as not my finest hour, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's known as Discovery Island, or really the Discovery Island trails, which mm-hmm. are for me. I cannot go to Animal Kingdom without walking through these these trails. It's a relax. A relaxation of, of just kind of taking yourself away from the busy amusement park. They're so intertwined with the roots of the tree, with hall, with tall grass and tall surroundings and tall rocks. You don't even realize where you are anymore. Um, a perfect example is definitely if you go see the attraction, which we'll get to in a minute, Tough to Be a Bug, um, just walk in there, you'll do it. But um, So there's a series of them, right? There's a series of paths that, you know, the travel and it. The good part is it gets you close to the tree as well, where you can see it. Now, see if you great go to photo opportunities, it truly is. And, and you'll be able to see your hidden Mickey that way, too. A little hint on where it could be. Mm-hmm. But if you go, um, if you're standing at the front 
of the the tree and you went to the left side of the uh, discovery island and you went all the way wrapped around before you get over the bridge to get over to where is that over there is that that's not africa is it yeah africa you you want to take one of those last trails on the right um and typically you can find potahannas hiding back there um pretty cool little hidden character there that you can do it's not a hidden character it's a meet and greet she's actually there uh, so check on your app to make sure she's there at the time she's there but um i always like seeing that one too again it's just a fun little thing now also among these roots um and and at the, the base of the tree there's there's a lot of cool landscape of, of pools and meadows and trees and all this exotic plant life but it's also home to a variety of live animals which includes some uh, lemurs some flamingos kangaroos tortoises uh a bunch of those cool little things too. So it's, it's again, it's it's almost like a zoo when you're walking through it. It's it's really cool. Now, like I just said earlier, we 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 cannot forget Bubba's favorite iconic character of all time in the one and only of ride the 90s, of the nineties. <laughs> well, I'll still debate the way you sold him. He he saved the United States from World War Two, or whatever the <laughs> hell you're talking about. <laughs> Tough to be. He was a representative of the. He was representative of the '90s. That's a true story. Insecure uh, country. We were an insecure country. I stand by it. So the the ride itself, yeah, it, it, it's lackluster. But again, this is one of those rides where I disagree. Well, it's a fun ride. It's not it's, bad. It's intense. It's it intense. intense. But I love again. I love walking up to it. You're walking through the path. You're literally getting into the tree. You feel like you're literally underground beneath the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very large theater, 428 seats, so pretty good size. And uh, it's, you, what the attraction is is an eight-minute 3D film. Uh, you're gonna wear your bud glasses, and it's of course based on a bud's life, 1998 Pixar film. But it also has animatronics in there. It does have a very large hopper, Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, well, Best character of the 90s. It's it's not. A, I think people forget about it. There's never a wait. Uh, it, it's just it's there, so it's solid. So the uh, the Tree of Life is home to a nighttime spectacular show uh, called Tree of Life Awakenings, which is a series of, of projection mapping shows debuted fairly new in May of 2016, and it was part of the you know the new operating hours because previous to that, Animal Kingdom closed at dusk, right, 6 p.m. ish. There was there was. Yeah, it closed. It shut down. You know, they thought it was danger to the animals and all this. But since then, with the high demand of all the the traffic of people and Pandora opening, and they wanted to just try to have this more nighttime spectaculars like Pandora, they said, well, we need to add some stuff. And they added the River of Lights show, and they said, well, let's let's do something with the tree as well. So, what I I really like this because it's it's not like a like the castle projection or the great. Um, Chinese theater or or the Tower of Terror or, or anything like that. It's it's a continuous show throughout the night and it occurs about every ten minutes or so from dusk all the way to um, close park closure and it has four different presentations so you could you could see four different things going on. They have um, one called Journey which is uh it's it's, it's a playful deer and a watchful hawk. This is kind of the descriptions of what they are. Uh, rendezvous, which is a hummingbird in flowers. The gift giver, which is a red fox in uh, a winter setting. And the last one's a Disney melody, which kind of uh, is inspired by, you know, Pocahontas, Bambi, Dinosaur, Tarzan, 
Finding Nemo, Avatar, The Jungle Book, and The Lion King. So that that kind of brings your IPs into it, where the other threes are trying to more generic about the natural inhabitants of uh, mm-hmm. what Animal Kingdom represents truly. So that is the Tree of Life. It's 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 amazing. Um, I hate to say it's my my favorite or my worst, but it, it's it's one of those that when you talk about it and you think about it, you're like, that's pretty cool. It's it's pretty yeah. cool what they did there. So, um, yep. but that wraps up Animal Kingdom. I think we need to move on to the next, the most one of the most iconic structures. <sighs> uh, and I promise you, Bob's not going to make this a three-hour episode. But Epcot. I mean, we talked about doing Epcot as its own episode when we were doing the notes for Spaceship Earth because the engineering behind it, the construction of it, the two halves, the polygons, the triangles, the silver plating, the table setup, the the, the gutter replacement job. Uh, I mean, if this is already boring you to tears, I do apologize, and I'll try to make it as entertaining and, and, and fun as we can. Um, but basically... We're going to talk Spaceship Earth, the structure, first. And the structure is very similar in texture to the United States Pavilion from Expo 67 in Montreal. But unlike that structure, Spaceship Earth is a complete sphere supported by three pairs of legs. Uh, The architectural design was conceived by Wallace Floyd Design Group. The structural designs of both Expo 67 and Spaceship Earth were completed by Simpson, Gumperts, and Hager of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, Geometrically speaking, Spaceship Earth is derived from the Class II geodesic polyhedron with frequency of division equal to 8. Each face of the polyhedron is divided into three isosceles triangles to form a point. In theory, there are 11,520 total isosceles triangles forming 3,840 points. In reality, some of those triangles are partially or fully non-existent due to the supports and the doors. Hard to stop there for a second. So, basically, in Expo 67, which was, you know, the World's Fair in Montreal, we had a dome set up um for the u.s pavilion to clarify uh it isn't a geodesic dome that we have in florida it is a geo it's a geometric uh, it's a sorry it's a geodesic sphere because it is a complete circle those pylon legs that you see coming out of it actually extend up and hold up a center turntable in the attraction itself and you, what you have is two halves of a hole. So you have a top half and a bottom half that are, I don't want to say welded together, but the lack of, of more commonology, they're certainly they're connected to this table in the middle. Um, then there's an outer shell, which are the polyhedrons, the triangles, and the various points um, on the outside. But that's not necessarily, that's the outer layer. There's a space for maintenance, and then there's an inner layer that we're going to get into now. Uh, so very quick, the appearance of being a monolithic, monolithic sphere is an architectural goal that's achieved through a structural trick. As we said, two structural domes, uh, and the six legs that are supported, that support the piles, are in the ground 160 feet. Wow, so it's that's pretty. 
No, it, it, they're legit supports, um, and those do support a steel box-shaped ring at the sphere's perimeter at about 30 degrees south latitude in Earth terms. So if you are a geometry fan or a geography fan, this episode is for you. And maybe you can explain to me what the hell I just said. Um, the upper structural dome sits on the ring. And a grid of trusses inside the ring supports two helical structures of the ride and show system. Below the ring, a second dome is hung from the bottom, completing the spherical shape. So again, that turntable in the middle that is connected to the legs is, I mean, literally the entire structure depends on those legs holding that turntable up. Um it, like we said, it's supported by about three feet off the structural... There's there's a structure inside that is supported by about three feet off the structural dome. Um, so there's a cladding sphere to which the shiny uh, Aluka Bond panels and drainage system are mounted. So the draining system itself is between the two layers of, of Spaceship Earth, and it pours directly into World Showcase Lagoon. Um, so that way, no water falls off of the globe onto the waiting guest. Um, and it's actually connected through one-inch gaps in the facets into the gutter system. Uh, the structure was designed with the help of science fiction writer Ray Bradbury, who also helped write the original storyline for the attraction. Um, some notable stories by Ray Bradbury, Fahrenheit 451, probably his most notable i believe he also did write the monsters are due on maple street episode of the twilight zone so construction took 26 months uh they extended upwards from the table uh extending upwards from the table are quadrupod structures which support the smaller beams which form the shell of the steel skeleton uh, again, uh, one thing I found really cool in my research is that a small service car is parked between the two interstitial space, uh, in between the interstitial space, uh, between the structural and cladding surfaces, and can carry a prone technician down the sides to access for peer locations. Andrew, I gotta tell you, that sounds like a job that I would love. What? <laughs> wow. Read to disagree there. Uh, so the shop fabrication of the steel was done in nearby Tampa and was an early instance of computer-aided drafting and materials processing. So, Andrew, you went to school for design, architectural design. Is there anything that we've talked about to this point that really, like, this is a modern marvel of engineering, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's no joke, right? I mean, th there's a lot of different ways to, to look at it, but... um. You know, people people in general, I think, take things for granted. And I don't know if, if, if granted is the right word. I think that they, they don't they don't stop and appreciate things, right? You well, walk that certainly is true. Yes. You you I mean I I guess nowadays you you have established that safety net, but you walk under that ball. You walk through Cinderella's castle. You're sitting mm -hmm. in a theater under an old oil rig that's now a tree. Yep. Mm -hmm. You you walk under Mitchy Saucer's hat. You you know all of these things that people do take for granted. There was so much effort and thought and design and 
and checking and, and, and double checking and crossing your T's and dotting your I's that people do forget and stop and, and step back for once. Look at it. Look at the Epcot ball and say, like, holy crap. Like, that's just that's, a giant that's an ball. amazing structure. It's an amazing um, structure. You know, and even it, it will get to the castle in, in a second, but, you know, like like that castle is, is a royalty castle based off real influences i mean people need to stop and, and appreciate things and i think disney honestly is is one of the best places to do that because there's so much stuff going on. we talk about line cues all the time you know people didn't just slap that together that was engineered and designed around the attraction people don't just say what's the attraction gonna be all right great let's do that and then all right how do we fit a line cue into that no that's that's not how it works. The line queue is is built into the design of the attraction, and they need to work with each other, right? Do you mm-hmm. think that the um the living sea, you know, thought about how you're gonna get to the attraction? No, you know that was part of the experience, right? You don't just build a ride and then say how do we get people to it? That it's not how it works. So another perfect example is they they built this giant ball, and not only do they say we're gonna build it, but we're gonna put an attraction inside of it. Yeah, and then we're gonna put. It's people an ambitious in, attraction, Tim. And you think that's? It's crazy if you think about it. You look at that thing. I mean, I th- I don't know what is it like an eighteen minute ride, and you might have that later in your notes. Yeah, but it's it, it's a journey, I believe. You look at the thing and you're like, time. holy crap, that's that. It's one of the longest rides on property, right? If I had the gas off the top of my head, I I don't know, but you know, I would say that and uh, living with the land are pretty close. Oh well, you had to go there. It's not an attraction. <laughs> it's not an attraction. Uh, but no, you're right. It, it's think about that. Yep. You're in a giant ball, and and think about how much you know surface area. I guess you could say cover, cubic, yep. cubic. Yeah, I mean volume. I guess you could say. Yeah, it's it certainly is impressive, and it's a magnificent structure to look at. Um, and yet, some reason it just wasn't good enough for people uh, in the year 2000. Because <laughs> in the year 2000. We got Spaceship Earth with a wand and the number 2000 on the top of the of the the the, the, the Spaceship Earth. Um, where do we go from here? Uh, I mean, so yeah. in celebration the of the millennium. Uh, you know what it was, Bob? Mag- That's yeah. because we never got the David Copperfield restaurant. Like we need I to guess. put more magic into this sucker. So, so we gave them a large 25 story magic wand held by a representation of Mickey Mouse's hand and was built next to the sphere. Okay. Here's the first problem. It was inspired by Fantasia. Anyone seen Fantasia listens? Has anyone seen Sorcerer Mickey use a magic wand? <laughs> What about, Fantasia, what about Fantasia 2000? I'd have to do some research, but I don't think he does. Do a quick the hat is where talk. the magic is. The well, hat yes. is magical. That is what the uh, that's the concept. There's some Fantasia Wyatt, nerd out there telling us that we're wrong. I disagree. I would love. I, I will challenge it. But okay. Uh, so obviously uh, this structure wasn't intended to be permanent. It was constructed to have a lifetime of about. 10 years. So once the once the number 2000 of the year 2000 was over, they took it down and replaced it with the word Epcot 
in ironically a script that does not match the Epcot script in any way. It was a very Disney, uh, excuse me, styled Epcot writing. So, just something that I didn't hate the wand. Yes, you did. If I had to, if I had to choose between the wand or the hat, I'm choosing the wand every day of the week. But I was glad to see it go. I was glad to see the the 2000 and the Epcot. Go. It was a long time. Um, I mean, longer than it should have been. Let's be honest. Oh yeah, I agree with that. So the attraction itself, we're not going to get into too much in depth. Just so you know, it's a 15 minute dark ride uh, that demonstrates to guess how advancements in human communication have helped to create the future one step at a time. Um, that's it in a nutshell. I don't want to go into how it ends and what happens in it and all the various scenes. Because I think maybe uh, we could do a Spaceship Earth episode one well, day. Bub, I think it would also be uh, irrelevant shortly when it goes down for two years and just a well, well, it's not going to – I mean, it's not changing the ride. Well, it's not going to get redone. It's just, it's just going to get the updates on the back end, which is fine. But I think we could do a, a Spaceship Earth episode. I think it would be a good time. So I'm not going to bore you guys with more details on how – spaceship earth operates in the ride system itself just know that for me the the spaceship earth is a modern marvel of architecture and that's what it is it's a magnificent piece of modern architecture hey, Bob, did you know that it weighs 16 million pounds i think i knew that Maybe. i mean i don't know why anybody would know that i'll take your word for it i'll take your word for it you think that's with or without spaceship earth in it I'd say it's without, without. I'd say without. Sure, makes sense. So we're gonna hop the monorail though, Drew. Right? We're gonna hop the monorail and go to the most magical place on Earth. And that's right, folks. Magic Kingdom, and we're talking about no other than one of my favorite icons, Cinderella's castle. Um, I mean, yeah, it's fabulous. Everything about it. You know, and it was designed by the late but amazing. Actually, I don't know. Is he dead? He might not be dead. I think he's dead. Anyway, do a quick search. Herbert Ryman, who <laughs> who also designed Sleeping Beauty's castle. Um, now we're talking about the castles in general, right? So for all the way back from from the movie, um, as well as the Disneyland castle. So Walt <laughs> approached him, and uh, you know. It gave him this adventure of, of designing these castles. He went all over the world um, researching, you know, Renaissance-type castles, gothic feeling, um, all these amazing things to, to top the design that he did. Now, it yeah, mentioned... just interesting, no, Herb Ryman died February 10th, 1989. Oh, God rest his soul. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the castle stands at... Um, Bob could correct me, Lauren, here, because there's two versions of out there of, of the height. So it's 189 feet if you measure it from the bottom of the the moat of the water. Now, I think the moat is six feet deep. So if you measure it from the top, I mean, no. it, it would measure at 183. But I'm going to go with 189. Officially listed, at, officially listed at 189 feet. Correct. That's, that's, I've seen people do it the other way, but... It, you're right. You understand the castle either. goes into the moat. The, the base Correct. of the castle, by definition and design, goes into the moat. Correct. So if you're going from the surface of the mm-hmm. drawbridge, um, you're right. Or, or just below the drawbridge, you're looking at, yeah, 180, 183 feet. But officially listed yep. uh, by Disney at 189 feet. 
Correct. And the moat, fun fact, has 3.37 million gallons of water. So when you think about nine months ago when they completely drained that to expand the walkway, talked about conservation, it's a lot of water. I'm sure they didn't reuse it. What's that? It is a lot of water. It is a lot of water. Uh, so it's 100 feet taller than Sleeping Beauty Castle in California. That's mm. crazy to think about, right? It's over double the size of the Sleeping Beauty Castle. So all of you mm-hmm. West Coasters, I'm sorry, but you guys kind of got screwed. Your castle's not nearly as nice. Oh, no, Disneyland it's nice. is a charming it's... park. Disneyland is a charming little park, though. You know what the Sleeping Beauty does have? The Sleeping Beauty Castle does have for all you West Coast people, if you're ever going there, I think it's still open. I haven't been there in a long time. They have a walkthrough exhibit, kind of, where you kind of see the dungeon, and you see uh, a lot of the stuff of Sleeping Beauty in her castle, and you go, super cool. You know what reminds me of, Bob? All you New Englanders out there, Dr. Frankenstein's Wax Museum over in good old Lake George, New York. Kind of gives me that type of feel. Much better, though. <sighs> I Okay, like Frankenstein's much better. Yeah, that's what I said. Oh, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so right. when they designed this castle, they worked on forced perspective, which is a unique strategy in architecture and design in general, but definitely for something that you're trying to, to create or trick the, the, the viewer's eye. And that's exactly what it does. So all the spires, the turrets, the, the royal blue rooftops, they lure your eyes to the top of the castle rather than focusing on the bottom. And what it does is it creates this appearance that the castle is actually much taller than it actually is. So though it's 189 feet, it's going to appear probably maybe even double, sometimes even bigger than that, depending on where you stand and your, your, your vantage point. As the building becomes taller, the design portions become smaller. This is actually a unique um, technique that's used in architecture for a lot of, a lot of different things. Um, with this method, the top spire is actually almost half of the size of the previous size below it, right? So, for example, if the spire in the middle of the castle is 10 feet tall, the one on the top is 5 feet tall. Uh, there's 27 towers in the castle, all numbered 1 through 29. They all have the unique numbers. Uh, 13 and 17 were actually deleted before the construction since they could not be seen from anywhere in the park. So they wanted this unique, you see all the spires from everywhere. Surrounding um, this beautiful castle is lush green grass, uh, rose bushes, wishing well, um, and it, it just adds that finishing touch to this this fairy tale romantic castle where it's not just the castle, it's the, the grounds around it are plush and beautiful. Um, now, Cinderella's drawbridge cannot be raised. Uh, Sleeping Beauty's castle in Disneyland can be raised. So, cool little fun fact there. I mean, I don't know why you'd ever really need it to be raised, but... Um, yeah, it can't, so it doesn't matter. Now, the construction, 18 months. That's really not that bad when you think about what the hell it did. Um, it completed on July 1971. And again, when I talked about how they fool the eyes, another trickery is they use material sometimes to, to trick one into thinking it's a material, but it's not, right? Um, so it, you believe it's made of marble. However, it's actually just made of steel and concrete. So there's 600 tons of steel braced frame construction that made up the inner structure uh, that encircled by 10 inch reinforced concrete wall. Crazy. So all of this is is drilled into a concrete foundation to help stabilize it 
which can actually what, Bob? I think it can withstand a Category 5 hurricane almost. Yeah, that is correct, sir, which, again, kind of important for down there, but allegedly it's above and beyond the Category 5. The, the mm-hmm. Now, contrary to popular belief, you can't take the turrets off the castle and anything like you that. Cannot, you can't yeah. break... You cannot break the castle down no. uh, in order to to save it from a hurricane. That that's not how it works. No, it, sorry, it, it, br- that's always been a rumor, right? <laughs> but um, yeah. a few. So some cool things too is so despite the appearance that it's it's a large brick castle, there was zero bricks used in the entire construction. Most of the exterior is is a very hard fiber reinforced plaster. That's supported by metal studs. And the fiber class was used for more uh, the exterior walls of the upper towers as well. The roofs are made up of the same type of plastic that actually computer monitor shells are made from. That's so, stunning. Lightweight yeah. material, though, so... Very lightweight, very sturdy. Um, the towers were raised by crane, and they were actually welded and bolted permanently in place. So there it goes right there. Oh, oh. Not doing a weld, so... Correct. Uh, but if you're, don't you think it'd be easier to just build it to specifications to withstand winds instead of taking it apart? Oh my god. Like, like, I mean, like realistically let's, speaking. Let's be honest. Nowadays, like, hurricanes pop up, what, 48 hours sometimes ahead of the time you don't yeah, get your hammer? Even still, you get a crane in there, you Several take the thing cranes. apart. Like, you, shut, you, not, you would have to legit shut down Magic Kingdom. Yes! Yeah, I don't people, know how people. people I, don't, I don't know why this was an urban legend. When there's a Category Five hurricane, people go to Disney because it's safer there than it is at their house. Yeah, people in uh, Florida go to Disney because it's yeah. oh, that's good. Yep. So when you enter the castle, the archway, beautiful. You get introduced to five beautiful mosaic murals that are uh, telling the story of Cinderella. If you ever watch Imaginary Story. Think of those mosaics. Where was that? Disney Sea that they were doing them? I believe so. I think so. There's yeah. like 13 of them. They were beautiful. So the series was designed by Imagineer uh, Dor- Dorothy Redman, um, who had a, a team of six artists that were led by a, a, mo- a mosaicist. I guess that's that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Hans uh, Jotum Scarf? Sure. Let's go with Hans. Anyways, each panel is about 15 feet by 10 feet. That kind of does a gothic arch type um, feel. And the skilled artist took 22 months to complete the murals. They use over 300,000 pieces of Italian glass, more than 500 colors. The tiles were hand cut and many are fused with sterling silver and 14 karat gold. Some tiles are some tiles are as small as a head of a tack. Uh, Bob, have you ever spent 22 hours on one side project? Or any project. I spent uh, 22 hours playing Go Go Pokemon Eevee with my son. Well, not, consecutively, not consecutively, but like my total game time. But I think I misspoken. I meant 22 months. Uh, um, no. No. Good. Well, no. <laughs> within the castle, there's a few things, right? Three things to be specific. The first one is Cinderella's Royal Table, where you get to actually have a nice, fine dining experience inside Cinderella's Castle with Disney princesses. It's a fairy tale setting. You can do breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and it is the most sought-after experience in all of Walt Disney World. It is quite amazing. 
I talked about it in very detail on episode 10. I, I, I went there. I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But it is an amazing restaurant. If you ever have the opportunity to do it, I recommend it. Um, it even entering before you go there, uh, you kind of kind of get to go into this room that's such a cool architecture. You go up these winding staircases that only like really one person can fit on at a time. So if someone's coming down, you're going to go backwards. It's it's just a super cool. You feel like you're in a real castle. It's amazing. Also within the castle is the Bippity Boppity Boutique, where you know young guests can pretty much be transformed into their favorite princess or knight. Now, what we've talked about in the past, one in a little bit more detailed, is the amazing 650 square foot suite that is four stories up inside Cinderella's castle. So here's what I'm gonna you're gonna envision. You are walking into the castle archway, heading into Fantasyland. On your left-hand side, halfway down, there is a brown door. That door, you're going to open up that door. And when you get into that door, you're going to enter into this elevator room. It's a small room. Think of a very large closet, maybe. It has a small desk, a nice large grandfather clock, the tapestries of Cinderella's. Um, very cool, very stylish of, of, of what you would think of royalty-type decor. There's a gold-plated elevator. You are going to enter the elevator. You don't want to go up. Um, this is now you, ent- you you enter the elevator. You are in the foyer of your suite or your castle. This is not part of the 650 square foot. There's a beautiful floor mosaic of Cinderella's coach. There's a, a glass cabinet with, with wood trim mahogany that has a Cinderella's glass slipper in it. It has Cinderella's clown. It has a baton. Uh, it has a few of those type of things. It's also a very large above you um glass and diamond um chandelier now there's a door once you enter the door you enter the bed chamber of the actual suite there's two chain size beds an armoire a writing desk fireplace and a painting above the fireplace of cinderella but it actually turns into a tv um, there's also a bathroom that has double copper saints has a very large stand-up shower it has a private toilet stall. It has, you know, the hinge door that closes. Bub, you'd like that. I and do. I has, enjoy those. It has a, a a big hot tub. And around the hot tub are these awesome mosaic um, um, different settings from Cinderella. It's really cool. Um, and then you have a sitting room off of the bedroom, kind of, uh, which has six large stained glass windows, which is what you can actually see. I think it's facing Liberty Square, if I remember correctly. Uh, it has a large sofa, two chairs, and another TV. So there, there's there's a bunch of rumors floating around here, right? Mikey talked about this a little bit back on um, Reflections of a Cast Member, where it used to be used for a storage um, room. And then it was a break room for cast members. And then when they did that, the, 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 the what was it, the Millennial Giveaway, or whatever the hell it was called... Or the year of a million dreams. Yes. they. There was rumors that the people in the park would get it for a night. But no one ever really agreed or admitted that they did that. They may have had access to it. And here's a few things. So to date, they've had celebrities willing to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, whatever it would be, to stay there for the night. Rumor is no one has ever technically stayed there. And I have a few reasons. So from I did 
way too much research on this suite because I was fascinated by the architecture of this whole building and how this suite was built, right? So I have my theory that nowadays, probably entering the late 90s into the 2000s where people started getting interested in this, I could not find anywhere that talks about a second exit, whether it was a staircase or something. And I don't know if there is. So there is no way any state, any country, well, that's not true, some countries, the United States would allow you or any guest to stay in that room without another fire exit, um, specifically a, a staircase of some sort. So I believe that's the problem. There's no other staircase to get you out of there besides the elevator where if something ever happened, you can't rely on that. But um, I mean, Bob, you have anything else besides that that you've heard of in your past? No, I mean, no, like I said, it was the grand prize of the million, uh, year of a million dreams. Uh, I have to do research. I didn't do a ton of research on, on that yeah. to see if there was a family that ever did win it or if they spoke about it. I mean, I think certainly as a tour piece anyway, it'd be pretty cool if they let you go up there. And if they gave you just a, a quick, you could look in yeah. like the main living area. I think it'd be cool if they could do that, but... You know, I mean, it is what it is. I, it's a safety thing. I think that's what it's always going to come down to, from what I yeah. what I believe. But, so some quick changes. Uh, the castle has gone through through a bunch of changes, as well as a bunch of temporary changes. So as a result of September 11th attacks in 2001, uh, unfortunately, the, the, they had some concerns with the general aviation could, could pose a threat to public safety. So they kind of created this permanent temporary flight restriction over all of Walt Disney World. Um, so Cinderella's castle, funny, is actually used as that visual reference, um, and um, kind of kind of cool, right? I mean, but you have more to add to that. It, it's just trying to use as a visual aid, right? Essentially. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, um, but, here's the thing with the no with the no fly. Um, I, I think Disney as a whole has because of its location been pretty restrictive about flying overhead let's be honest they have the the planes that you know jesus saves and jesus loves you type air writing and the smiley faces but those are off in the distance you see them from there mm-hmm. um but when this happened the the federal aviation administration placed a temporary flight restriction uh, but it's a permanent temporary flight restriction right. overall of Walt Disney World because it is considered a, a, a target. And I don't know that we want to get into, you know, oh, no. it's a target for terrorism. That's not really what we're saying, but it's the most vacation spot in the world. Mm-hmm. It's obviously going to be a target of, of terrorists, both foreign and domestic. So I think it's good. And I mean, uh, I believe that the, the, Private Walt Disney World, uh, the Sensa 172 aircraft can can fly, and some of the law enforcement um, copper uh, choppers and and planes mm-hmm. do have access in certain uh, not certain areas, but they do have access at certain times uh, if need be um, from that temporary flight restriction. So nothing too innocuous there. I think it's it it, it makes a ton of sense. It, it's something that um, I think it helps with the. I mean, it helps Disney as a as a property. And you're saying, well, what does that mean? Well, what are you talking about? But if you think about it, 
planes especially andrew i know i know having grown up where we did with with the airport literally in our backyard um are disturbing things not disturbing but they 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 break the silence they you know you can't hear over them so i think disney not having that and and i don't want to say they're locked out considering the circumstances of of why there's a temporary flight take away a little bit of that magic you know but it would it helps with the isolation magic that disney possesses uh that some places don't and that's the point um difference between the west coast and the east coast uh, disneyland and disney world is that uh disney world is a secluded swampland in florida where disneyland is is on the main strip in anaheim i mean it's just strip malls and and motel sixes and <laughs> themed themed hotels so it's it's a little bit different i mean if you go to universal universal is in the middle of downtown orlando i mean yeah. it's I, I mean it's it's just oh, kind of yeah. it's there so Absolutely. yeah I, I mean certainly i think they locked again and locked out is a stretch it's not really the right word for this but but it helps with their theme absolutely yeah, you know you're going on an all-inclusive vacation so but before we wrap up this castle bub we have to go through a little temporary changes that have gone through so sure. on the 25th anniversary in october of 1996 the castle turned into a super large pink <laughs> birthday cake um it was completely. And if you were on Discord, we actually have an emoji of this very design. So here's another fun fact: Bob and I were actually there together on vacation for this. Uh, super cool. 1997, May of 97, we were there. That's right. And um, so it's complete with red and pink icing, giant candy canes, 26 glowing candles, and the castle mm-hmm. served as the centerpiece for the 15th month. Uh, 15 month long celebration. So it was, uh, of course, designed by Walt Disney Entertainment in Florida and later constructed by the Imagineers. Um, it took more than 400 U.S. gallons of pink paint to cover the castle, which was decorated with multicolored sprinkles, like I said, candles, which ranged in heights between 20 and 40 feet tall. There's that forced perspective again. Absolutely. Uh, 16 two-foot candy stars, 16 five-foot candy bears, 12 12 five-foot gumdrops, four six-foot stats of lifesavers, 30 three-foot lollipops, and 50 two-foot gumballs. So additionally, more than 1,000 feet of Pink and blue inflatable icing was needed to finish it off. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately it came to an end in January 31st of 1998, who then someone or had to do. fortunately, for those of you that got married in 1997 and went to Disney on your honeymoon <laughs> and have a big pink castle in your picture, congratulations, because not everybody has that. So you consider yourself lucky. I need to date up some pictures. I, don't know I loved it. I'm going to do that it, next weekend. I thought it was cool they did it. Um... Yeah, I thought it was cool. I, cool. I don't hate it like uh, like I hate it. So here, next one was interesting to see they put this much effort into this franchise, <laughs> as well as a one day. Attraction. I think it was one day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was for the grand opening of Stitch's Great Escape. Yep. So Stitch TP'd the castle, and now you might say TP'd, yes, toilet papered the castle. So on November 16, 2004, the castle was modified to a pair as it was through, you know, Stitch toilet papered it, um, and Stitch then um, 
posted right on one of the torrents with and graffiti. graffiti. You know, one of the that, turrets, you know. And he wrote that Stitch is Kane. And uh, again, Pop said it, it was Stitch's great escape. And Tontero um, was removed that night when the park closed. I mean, I here's my thing I have with this. A lot of effort. Very cool, though. Like, like why not do that for more other things, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I thought it was mm. cool. And the last change was the happiest celebration on Earth Castle, when the castle's most recent redecoration um, commemorated the happiest celebration on Earth in honor of Disneyland's 50th anniversary. So yep. that was formally revealed in May of 2005, and the exterior was adorned and polished with gold trim, accent swags, banners, and tapestries. Golden statues of Disney animated characters were also added to the exterior. So they had very large gold statues of Peter Pan, Tinkerbell, and Wendy, which then circled one of the tallest spires. And other statues included Ka and King Louie from Jungle Book, Simba, Timon, Pumbaa from The Lion King, Sebastian and Flounder, uh, the Cheshire Cat and the White Rabbit, and Victor and Hugo, uh, from, and Laverne. Oh, and Laverne. Sorry, from the Hunchback. From the Hunchback. Day, Hulk Smith's Laverne. Oh, geez, you would. Yeah, low key right there. Low key, great film. Hunchback. Pretty cool. I, I um, think it's better than I, better than I ever gave it credit for. It's okay. Um, and then just above the the front archway sat a huge, enormous stained glass mirror, which was modeled after the magic mirror from Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. And the mirror changed every forty seconds to feature, um, pretty much how it did in, in in Disneyland, right, Bob? So, so what, I mean, what did it actually show? Uh, it showed, uh, let's see, the Disneyland Park in 1955, uh, the Magic Kingdom at opening in 71, Tokyo Disneyland, uh, Disneyland Resort Paris, Hong Kong Disneyland, kind of cycled through the different castles and areas of those particular parks. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked it. I it liked cool. it. The mirror, the mirror was... Again, big. and, 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 and you run into you run into the idea of you're on an existing building. The mirror was huge, yeah. Um, so it it did take away a little bit from the castle, I feel like. But but the concept was cool. I think was the important thing. Um, I don't know that I loved the mirror, but I loved the mirror represented. If that makes any sense, like I loved the idea. But, but they could have done something with like really cool photos, like maybe at the at the, the lower level, of the castle on the outside, like kind of like the statues, yeah, like right. a portrait. But but anyways, that lasted about a year and a half, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, the castle is, is great. So as we start to wrap up this main topic, Bob, I have I have two things I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. One, what is your favorite icon? Tree of Life. I'm going to go Cinderella's Castle. Okay. And with the 50th anniversary just around the corner next year, mm-hmm. what do you think, if anything, will they do with the icons? Right. We talked about the 25th did the birthday cake. That was very, so, you know, 90s ish. You know, but what could I they do? I will say, with all of the changes they've made to. Cinderella Castle in the last couple of years, expanding the courtyard, putting the park areas in, bringing the turrets out towards Casey's on one side and the Plaza Restaurant on the other. I'm going to say the castle's going to stay the same. Um, The problem here becomes, by definition, it is the 50th anniversary of Magic Kingdom. It's not in the property itself, Mm -hmm. but the other parks aren't 50 years old. So, 
I mean, Epcot will be 40, I think, that mm-hmm. year, or or almost yeah. 40. Will Epcot get something other than new rides? I don't know you're going to see anything crazy. I think you're going to see something, maybe a color scheme change that they start doing. Maybe I, They already did the gold for Disneyland, so it's tough to go back to mm-hmm. that design again. So, but I would say something fairly understated. I don't think it's going to be anything out of control, though. I really, I, I don't, I don't no. think so. I, I, I agree. Um, I, I think they're going to do something. I do, uh, and I think that thing is going to be. We see nowadays so much of this, this projection mapping that we call it. Yeah. Right? I think they're going to find a way to do that during daytime. I think they're going to find a way to somehow do projection mapping on the tassel, and it should be constantly changing. I think they're going to find a way to do projection mapping on the Epcot ball. And I think they're going to figure out a way to do Well, they already do. I think they're going to figure out that they're going to do on the tree of life. And well, they already do with do, all of them. They so. Do. so my point is, is that they kind of do it on all of these things. I mean, nighttime shows. I think you're going to see that. And I think it's going to be a new projection mapping for the 50th anniversary. And what that is, I don't know, but yeah. that's, that's what I think will happen. We will see a projection mapping. Yeah, it's not how, bad. But I, I don't know if they'll be able to figure it out during the I, daytime. I, I can but. see that happening. I would. I, I mean, it, it's certainly. I, I don't know if it's going to be anything that's completely uh, ostentatious in any way. I don't think it's going to be a, a pink birthday cake or anything no, like that. I really don't. I don't see that happening. But guys, everyone that's listening, we want to hear your craziest ideas. What do you think? Uh, write us in. Put it on the Facebook Ohana page. Uh, Discord for your Patreons. Let us know what you guys are, th- are thinking. But that's going to wrap up the, the main topic, right? Bubba, is there anything else to add before we move on? Um, yeah, God save the queen, you know? All right. So let's move on to the random house of mouse. Start knocking at the house of Yes, it's Random House of Mouse time again, and this week, not really in, in the same vein as the as the main topic, but Andrew, if I ask you which attraction, show, or ride would you be a cast member at, and we're going to go past attraction and current attraction, what what would you pick? Well, Bob, I, I kind of cheated. I picked two things. Um, mm-hmm. I, if it was an old attraction, I would say Disney Quest for one, because I'm I love Disney Quest. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. you know? What better way to play video games with all these people all day? And then my other one, what I have to think back would be the Bat Lot Tour, because yeah. what's better than that ride? It's constantly changing and evolving. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, fun fact for all you listeners out there, Bubber and I were in the Bat Lot Tour. Um, kind of already cast members of the Backlot Tour. Yeah, we were in that opening scene. Was it Pearl Harbor or was it? Uh, it was Pearl Harbor once, and the other time it was like the fishing vessels. But uh, we did. I think Pearl we Harbor did. The, we were the fishing vessels. Was it for the yeah, perfect storm? I don't remember. It might have been something similar. I was the guy that sure. stood in the boat, and Bubba was the one that dumped the water in my face, and it was like. And I was driving the big wheel yep. of the boat there, and you were in the engine room. You were in the engine room. Oh, and I said, don't look left. So what did you do? You look left. <laughs> they told me, don't look. And I almost fell over. That oh, was a boy. Yeah. What about you, bad. Bob? What would, what would you do? Um, I, did, I picked two for the past attractions. I really love Epcot. Um, and I really would have enjoyed being a character or a stilt walker 
on uh, character uh, for the Tapestry of Nations, Tapestry of Dreams parade they did before Illuminations. And Andrew will tell you that I am a huge Illuminations fan, and I'm I'm sad that it's gone. But Tapestry of Dreams and Tapestry of Nations was really an excellent, excellent parade yeah. on World Showcase Promenade. Uh, so I would have done that. Or a uh, great movie, right? I mean, I, I know Mikey had some not so great things about to say about great movie ride but let's pretend that uh i'm not gonna have to say in that post my entire life and i got to do it um something the great movie ride i don't know what if you if you yeah i'm trying to think if you tried to pin me down for one i have to say the gangster scene I really enjoy the game i i enjoy those those like like you said it's fun for the first few days Right, so that's good. So there we go. So I'm golden. I'll do it for a couple of days, and then I'll go work at Epcot and be in Tapestry of Nations and Tapestry of Dreams. So Love what about current attraction for you, Drew? What would you do? Well, i got to be honest, Bob. I, I, I thought hard about this, and uh, I, I don't think I'd really want to work in a Disney park, to be honest. You know, I, I don't know if it's Fair. for me. Um, and this probably isn't even the right answer, because it's technically not even a park, but I don't know if it's even an attraction. I want to play a character, right? Okay. And then I started thinking, where's the best place to play a character? I mean, not in the park in the in the heat, right? Not not standing in one spot all day and just in person after person. What about like a restaurant where you're okay. you're, you're moving around, different people are keep changing. There mm-hmm. there's there's just a good feel and flow. You get your braids in the back. And then I said, well, who the hell would I want to be? I said, well, I wouldn't really want to be like wearing a big costume all the time. That's not enjoyable or comfortable. And then I started thinking of what princes are out there or things like that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the best looking guy. I'm probably not the best fit guy, but I, if I could pull it off, I would go over to the Trattoria Alfano at the boardwalk and play Flynn Rider. Cause why the hell not? Hey, dream big, man. Dream big. <laughs> I like, it. I like it. How about uh, you? For me, I'd probably be the guide at uh, Kilimanjaro Safari. I'd be driving the Jeep all day. Oh, God bless. That seems tedious. That seems tedious. I I think it could be a good time. It could be. I mean, because again, I think that ride changes so much. Like, you you never know what you're going to see. And I think really, I mean, I think you you get what you put in uh, on that attraction. And I, I think you could really make someone's day special if you were really good at it and you enjoyed what you were doing. And, and I think we've all had those tour guides that make that attraction one of the best attractions you've gone on at any of the parks. And you've had the guys that aren't so great. Um, I think Jungle Cruise Skipper would be another good one that you kind of make someone's day but by your interaction. Here's my it's problem one of with those, Bob. That you have what? a personal stake in. What if you wake up that morning... Your dog died. You get a flat tire on the way to work. You don't feel good. Yeah. I mean, you gotta I mean, go put that happy different face on. Yeah, how is that different for you as a, as a walk around character at a dining establishment? I mean, you're not wrong. That's why I said I didn't want to work there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how, how do people how do people respond in everyday life. I mean, I, I don't know of many jobs where you can just go exist. Hey, you're off the door and say, don't bother me, I'm working today. I mean, I guess, but, I mean, ultimately, if you're a leader, you kind of got to put that stuff behind you. No, you're right. It is what it is. And and that's why I give a lot of credit to all cast members, and, you know, Mm -hmm. 100%. 
And the last one we have tonight in Random House of Mouse, and kind of goes along, any job on property, what would you do? Oh, Bob. I think I would go with the assistant head golf pro at Lake Buena Vista Golf Course. Because I wouldn't want to head golf pro. I wouldn't want to be the head golf pro because there's a lot of responsibility. And if I had to do anything I want, I just want to be able to golf a lot, mingle with the members. That's it. I don't want to, I don't want like responsibilities. I just want to try to hang out and golf. Guest relations and do the tours at the vacation club. Oh, I'll do that. But that's not like responsibility of ordering and the financing and the bookings and I no, I just want to answer yeah, the I, phone, play some you golf. Wanna, you just want to golf. I just want to play some. What about you? Uh, easy. Monorail pilot. But you're on You you have Slam this dunk. you have this reoccurring theme of Picking something that's going to drive you insane after a week of work. Oh. <laughs> all, all of yours. It's never going to happen. I know it's going to happen. So, oh, yeah. Like, Fantasy booking my life as a Disney employee. That's what we're doing. I agree. Well, Bob, I guess that brings Random House and Mouse to close tonight. So. It does. And um, that is going to wrap up this week's episode. And, you know, again, as always, we want to hear from you guys about your favorite part icons and all that thing. So, so let us know. But if there are any feedback, questions, or comments, email us at the Disney Guys Uncensored at gmail.com. Head over on Facebook. Uh, give us a like on our business page, the Disney Guys Uncensored, uh, or head over to our group page, Disney Guys Ohana, where that's where we have a lot of communication and contests going on and things like that. But if you want to be even a cooler listener, Head over to patreon.com slash the Disney Guys Uncensored. And as little as $2 a month, that is cheaper than a cup of coffee or a Yoohoo or a vending machine visit or anything like that. You can give it to us and uh, helps keep the lights on, you know, helps us get more equipment, helps us do more giveaways, right? Because, again, we don't, we don't do this for the money. Everything that we're making, we put back into the show for, for book giveaways and to buy stickers to send to you guys. Um, to buy new equipment, uh, Bob just bought a new microphone. Uh, we buy books. All of it is back to the show. We're not we're not doing this for the money. We're doing it because we love it. So again, consider it. It's, it again, it's two dollars. It's super simple. It comes out of PayPal. You won't even know it. Um, head over to iTunes if you're there. Give us a listen in there. Uh, give us a rate and a review. We love to see those. As you could allude to of two weeks ago, we read them all. We love seeing that. And lastly, if you want some super cool merchandise, as some stickers or some shirts or a coffee mug or I don't know, Bob. What else do they have? Something crazy. Some 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 yoga pants or what else? I have no idea. Well, I don't know. Head on over there, pick something out. If you don't see something, you don't. If if, if you don't see something you like, let me know. I'll add it in there. Pens. Do you Hell have yeah. any pens with our logos? Sure, we could get some of those. And that's that. The there you Dis- go. Pens. The that that's that's sure. The DisneyGuys.RedBubble.com. So head over there and do that. Um, so, we hope you enjoyed the show, and thanks for listening to The Disney Guys, Uncensored. May Walt Disney World bring joy and inspiration and new knowledge to all who come to this happy place. <laughs>